I'm Megan Murphy, host of The Same Drugs. I'm here to have conversations. Real, honest, authentic conversations. The kind we aren't supposed to have anymore. I interview anyone I find interesting, from left to right to everywhere in between. I work independently in order to have the freedom to say what I believe and speak to whoever I want. But with independence comes a lot of work and some insecurity. I rely on donors and patrons, so individuals, to support my work so I can continue to do what I do. Please consider becoming a subscriber on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Megan Murphy. Thank you so much for supporting conversations outside the algorithm. On today's show, I'm speaking with Garrett Johnson, a public speaker and host of Fight the New Drugs podcast, Consider Before Consuming. Hello, and thank you for joining me on The Same Drugs. Um, I, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I feel like I've been wanting to connect with Fight the New Drug in general for a long time, and um, I'm, yeah, I'm really glad that we could do this. So are we. We're always excited about an opportunity to talk about the harmful effects of pornography, which is a weird thing to say, yeah. but it's part of our job. It's part of my job. So I'm excited to be here as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I really enjoy these conversations too, and oddly feel excited because, you know, when I'm able to have these conversations, um, I guess, especially with men, because I feel like it's really rare. Like I feel like the, kind of heterodox approach, you know, the position of people who consider themselves to be, you know, pushing back against mainstream narratives or, you know, challenging, you know, criticizing mainstream media and, you know, kind of taking the the root of the underdog. I feel like those people treat pornography as though it's still this very taboo thing and that therefore, you know, the only position is to like support it because if you support free speech, you you don't want to ban pornography. Not, I'm not an advocate of banning pornography either. We can get into that later, but um, I guess I find it really odd because I don't feel like the mainstream narrative is anti-pornography. I feel like the mainstream narrative is totally pro pornography and has completely normalized pornography. Like I don't think pornography is taboo in any way at all anymore. I think that you're right to a degree, but I also have seen a shift, a little bit of a shift in the right direction, I think. And okay. and so I think that you're, yeah, I think that you're accurate in saying that, generally speaking. But I, again, I think there's been certain events and certain things that have taken place within the last decade, especially within the last couple of years that have shed light on what pornography really is. And what kinds of things? Are, people Sorry. are starting to realize. No, no, I'm mm-hmm. just going to say people are starting to realize like pornography is not healthy. Okay. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I think I'm like a bit of a cynic in general. And so I tend to like, be like, this is the end of civilization. So I always appreciate it when somebody can bring like a more positive perspective that I can be like, Oh, okay. Maybe things will be okay. For sure. Yeah. But like, so what kinds of things have you, you noticed that have come up in the past couple of years that you think are changing people's perspectives about pornography? I mean, there's a pretty big thing that happened in 2020 
that was pretty significant. And what it was was an article, an expose written by Nicholas Kristof in the New York Times. And the title of the article was The Children of Pornhub. And it was an expose. Nicholas Kristof is an award-winning journalist. And he decided to write this expose because he did some investigation of what Pornhub specifically was profiting off of. And he came to realize that it was profiting off of non-consensual content and child sexual exploitation material and sex trafficking. And he wrote this expose and within a couple of, if I'm remembering this timeline correctly, I'll just say to be more accurate, within a short period of time, um, big players like Visa, Discover Card, MasterCard, these big financial players pulled their processing rights so Pornhub could no longer process payments through those portals. And I think that is a pretty significant thing that has happened. Um, another thing to me that is evidence that there is movement in the right direction is the fact is the fact that Fight the New Drug, our organization, and many other organizations out there, we're just, we're just one of them. The fact that we are growing and, you know, having conversations with influencers who are willing to open up and big time influencers who are willing to open up and talk about the talk about pornography to me shows that it's starting to pivot. Like we are, we as a society are starting to pivot and be like, okay, actually this is not, this is not healthy. And if we want health as a society, then this shouldn't be, I mean, we should consider before consuming is what I'm trying to say. I guess, I mean, I, I'd like to hear a bit about your experience with pornography. Um, how, like, how did you first encounter porn yourself, like on an individual level? So for context, I was born in the mid eighties and I first was exposed to porn with a friend. And for a lot of years, I would say that my first time exposure was around the age of nine. And until about two years ago, like working through my experience, I now acknowledge that my first time exposure to pornography was around the age of five. Wow. And I don't know why I was repressing those memories or if it was intentional or subconscious. I don't know why, but my first time exposure to pornography is or was around five years old and it was with a friend. And I think it was a very uh, typical, very common thing that happens amongst all people and maybe even more so a little bit more so around males. Like we were just, I mean, at that time you were even referring to it as playing. Like we were just not even hanging out. Like we were just playing, you know, and we had a sleepover and we were exposed to pornography on late night television. And I don't remember exactly what happened after that. I was so young uh, there's a lot of like blurry memories between what happened and, and how it progressed. But my progression of pornography or like the escalating aspect of it, it wasn't until like 2007 
when my porn consumption escalated to what I consider a compulsive behavior. Mm. And uh, 2007, 2008, up until about 2010, and then forward until like 2016. So basically from like 2007 to 2016 is when my porn consumption escalated into what I consider a compulsive behavior. I've never seen a therapist, so it's self-diagnosis, but I would label it that as a compulsive behavior. Mm. I mean, what did pornography teach you about sex and sexuality? It taught me to objectify. I think that if I had to sum it up into one one word, it would be to objectify because for such a long period of time, for such a big portion of my life, I consumed pixels on a screen. And I do want to acknowledge that those pixels are people, like those are people on the other side of the screen. But I think in my brain, I was objectifying them into pixels. Like I didn't see them as people with, you know, with thoughts, feelings, and emotions. I saw them as something to be acted upon rather than to have a relationship with. And so, yeah, I think that it's very, um, very easy to say, not easy, easy, easy is not the word accurate. It's very accurate to say that porn taught me to objectify mm-hmm. and see people as, as objects. I feel like often when I talk about pornography and objectification, which I have many times over the years, um, men will often push back by saying that, you know, well, you know, we all objectify each other. You know, we look at, you know, women look at men who are attractive and men look at women who are attractive. And like, are we just supposed to stop being attracted to other people and stop wanting to have sex with other people or stop fantasizing with other people or like even, you know, stop being attracted to my partner. Like I objectify my partner. I think, you know, I like the way her body looks or whatever. Like, do you see a difference between, when you know you're talking about objectification and pornography and and how it made you think about sex and sexuality and and maybe women versus the way that we are attracted to other people out in our in our lives i think there's a big difference between objectification and attraction because With attraction, I mean, like you're still acknowledging that that person is a person. And with objectification, I think that that's eliminated. Like that aspect of them being a person is eliminated. And there's some really smart people out in the world. And there's one of them who said that empathy and sexual objectification can't they're not, they're incompatible. Mm-hmm. So, and I agree with that. Like empathy can't exist when you are objectifying someone. And so I think that's not the case though with attraction. Like I can find someone attractive and still feel empathy for them. Yeah. I mean, I tend to 
find that argument strange because, you know, from in my personal experience, like when I'm attracted to somebody, it's never really just about appearance. Like it's not because I'm like, you know, that person is objectively attractive. I mean, of course that factors in, but it's usually tied to personality or behavior or body language or like right. sense of humor and all sorts of other things. And I, and I know, you know, from reading about and talking to people who are, um, who studied evolution and, and, and I know that there's a lot of subconscious factors that come into play in terms of attraction, you know, things like smell and like how somebody walks and, and, and all this other stuff. So it doesn't make sense to me that you would be having those same kinds of reactions to or relationships with people that you were just looking at, you know, photos or videos of them online. Yeah. I think you're talking about a holistic approach to attraction Mm -hmm. where I think when it comes to pornography, people are, or when it comes to sexual objectification, they're the individual that is engaging in that objectification is just focusing on physical um, attraction, you know, instead of that holistic approach of the personality and all of those things that can make you attracted to a person. Yeah. I mean, do you, did, so do you feel like pornography changed the way you saw and related to women out in the world? You know, like women that you were interacting with or seeing in real life? Yeah. I think it, I used pornography as my sex education. My, I have great parents. I feel very fortunate. Um, But my parents never talked to me about sex. And the only meaningful, like I didn't have meaningful discussion around sexuality or around sex. And so the only conversation that I had was around it was with friends or through video or in the locker room or through pornography. And so, of course, that education influenced how I interact with other people and how I see other people. And yeah, I would say that it definitely impacted my negatively impacted my, the way I see people. It also negatively impacted like my relationship with myself, Mm. which in turn impacts my relationship with other people. Yeah. In what way? How did it, how did it negatively impact your relationship with yourself? Because I've experienced both lives kind of in a sense, I call them both lives, but basically like I've consumed pornography at a level that I would label compulsive. And I've also been free of that behavior for a significant period of time. And so I can compare those two experiences and when I am porn free, I am able to enjoy life to a different level that I can't enjoy when I when pornography is in my life. And so like the little things in life are some of the most meaningful things to me. 
And one of my favorite phrases is that moments of bliss are not free. And my goal in life is to enjoy as many moments of bliss as possible. And uh, when pornography is in the way, what I've noticed is that other little things that are really, really meaningful and really, really important, I lose sensitivity to those things because my, I think what it does is like my reward system is so focused on pornography consumption that it becomes like this numbed pleasure center. And like the, I become less sensitive to the pleasures of everyday life. Mm. That's interesting. Do you think that that, I mean, do you see that as a consequence of your personal, like compulsive or addictive relationship to pornography? Or do you think that's equally as applicable to people who, you know, use pornography, but don't, you know, consider it a compulsive or behavior or an addiction? I would say that you know, science shows that porn can be an escalating behavior no matter where you fall on that spectrum of, you know, first time exposure all the way to addiction. I would say that the negative consequences are going to be increased as you go closer and closer towards addiction. Mm-hmm. So I would say if, you're, if your consumption level was at a similar similar level that I consumed porn at, then it would, your, the negative consequences could be similar, but because we're all unique individuals with unique biology and unique, unique experiences, I'd say that everyone's going to be a little bit different in regards to how they endure or how they interpret the negative effects of pornography. Yeah. And I do suspect it, you know, when this is partly just based on my having talked to lots of men about pornography and their porn use, I suspect that a lot of men who still use porn and don't want to stop using porn or don't want to consider their porn use as a problem in any way will say, well, I'm not, I'm not addicted. Like I just use porn casually. Like it's not, you know, like, so I don't have a negative relationship with it. Like I just, you know, I just watch it sometimes. Like I think so many men really just consider porn to be a masturbation tool and therefore not harmful because of course masturbation isn't harmful. Um, And people have, you know, glommed those things together. And so often when you're speaking critically about pornography, they're like, oh, well, so I shouldn't masturbate. I'm like, no, that's definitely not what I'm saying. But like, I do think that pornography is harmful in a wide variety of different ways. But like, what would you say to a man who says, you know, I'm, I'm not addicted though. So what's the problem? So what would I say to that person? Um, first of all, I just want to say that like we at Fight the New Drug, we don't talk to masturbation. We don't have a stance on that. We are an educational organization that talks about the harmful effects of pornography. 
using science facts and personal accounts. Um, but to your question, like, what would I say to that person? One of my favorite phrases is, was something that my mom drilled into my head as a, as a kid. And the thought is that a man convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. And so if a person is convinced that their level of porn consumption is okay, no matter what I say, you know, if, if they're convinced, they're going to maintain that position no matter what I say. And so I think the first thing I would want to say is that it would be very important to understand where that person's at currently. If they don't want to change and there's no interest in considering before consuming, then I don't have any interest in having a conversation about the potential harmful effects of pornography mm. because there's no, you know, there's going back, there's no reason to have that conversation if there is no open-mindedness. So, um, but then like if the person is willing and they are, there is a level of unwanted porn consumption and they're considering before consuming and they're saying, Hey, genuinely speaking, like I want to be healthy. And, but I think my porn consumption is healthy, then I think that's a different conversation. And what I would say to that is like, why do you consume porn? Yeah. Why, why do you, what's your reasoning? Get into why they consume it. Um, if they were a person who like, as a man, like I, I enjoy my masculinity and I think masculinity can be healthy. I think just like, I think masculinity is amoral. Like it depends on what I do with my masculinity and what we do collectively with our masculinity, if makes it like healthy or unhealthy. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to masculinity, I think that one thing that's confused is that these, some of these traits that are like normally looked at as like traditionally viewed as masculine within Western society, I think sometimes they're confused. So maybe I would challenge this person that I was talking to hypothetically. I would say something like, you know, the, one of the things that is viewed as masculine in Western society is being independent. But I think that that word independent is misunderstood because I think a lot of people see it as not needing help. Yeah. But the reality is the way I look at it is that independence means, you know, it's free from outside control or another way to state that. The reason why I bring this up is because a person like a man might say that they are independent, but then they might have a dependency to pornography. And, um, so that's where I would maybe challenge that person. Like, do you, do you feel like you have a dependency to pornography and, whether that dependency is in impulsive, or I guess I want to restate that, whether that dependency is based out of impulsivity or based out of compulsivity, it's still a certain level of dependency. And I think that that would be an important conversation to have. I don't know. What are your thoughts? How do you have this conversation with someone that doesn't want to, or that thinks their porn consumption is completely healthy? Well, it's it's really hard because I think that people who claim that their porn 
use isn't a problem and it's totally fine or in a bit of denial. And so they have a block up already to hearing. Um, and so, you know, often I'll talk about, I'll be like, you know, you know, most like women in the porn industry don't want to be there. They're not enjoying themselves. They're like not, you know, I know this might come off as judgmental, but I also know this to be true based on, you know, listening and learning, you know, well, most people in the porn industry are not very like mentally healthy people. There's a lot of addiction. There's a lot of mental health issue. There's a lot of past trauma. Like a lot of those women came from situations where they'd been molested repeatedly throughout their lives and this sort of led them into the sex industry. Um, and, you know, you don't know what's going on with these people that you're watching on the screen. Yeah. Um, you know, cause men will, you know, defend their pornies by being like, Oh, well I'm not, you know, like I'm not watching mainstream porn. I'm watching like amateur porn. Um, cause you know, they, they want to believe that what they're doing isn't exploitative. Like if you're watching porn that like a male owned corporation, like they're making billions off of this and this woman in the porn is being kind of chewed up and spat out and not making very much money. And now her videos are online for eternity and somebody else is profiting from her and not her. And she has no control over those images. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like, I I, I kind of don't believe that, to be honest, because I don't think that most men are really just watching, like, ethical amateur pornography, because that's not really what most porn is out there. And even if that's what you believe you're watching, you still don't know anything about this person that right. you're watching, and you don't know what's going on in their life. So I will say that, but, you know, I also... You know, I think it has negative impacts on the way that these men look at women out in the world um, uh, in the way that they have sex and like their ability to be in intimate relationships with other women. Um, and I know that porn use is really hurtful to women. Like a lot of women who are in relationships with men feel really upset or disturbed or hurt by their partner's porn use. Um and a lot of women see it as a form of cheating. And I kind of, I never, I didn't used to see it that way, but I kind of agree with that now because I do consider it like you are in a way engaging in sex acts with other people outside your relationship. I don't know what you think about that. I mean, I guess we can just like simplify, simplify the term cheating and if we simplify it to, you know, doing something behind someone's back without right. them knowing, right. then I would say that if you're, if a person is engaging with pornography, consuming pornography without their significant other knowing, then I would say that's a form of cheating because they, there's dishonesty within the relationship, right? Mm -hmm. I think that maybe that's oversimplified and I do want to say that context matters. And so every relationship is different. And um, I just don't know of personally, I don't know of someone where their porn consumption is completely trans like they're complete. They're in a healthy relationship and they're, 
it's a long-term relationship and they have been completely transparent about their current porn consumption. Like they're, yeah. I would say that in, in my personal account within my circles, porn consumption often happens in isolation and in secrecy. And so to answer your question, like I know that context matters and I'm not saying that I guess, yeah, I'm just saying context matters. I would say that porn consumption in most cases would, I would label it as cheating. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think you're probably right. Cause I think that, you know, men who use porn and their partners sort of like are aware that they use porn. It's not like their partners know what it is they're consuming or how often they're consuming yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's one thing that I've seen being pushed in a lot of ways is uh, trying to normalize your partner's porn consumption. It seems like that's trying to be normalized. And I think that also there's organizations out there and entities out there that are trying to normalize more and more that women should consume pornography and be okay that their partner consumes pornography. And I don't like that normalization. And that, so that's why I'm grateful that we have conversations like these ones where we're kind of fighting back against that normalization. One thing yeah. that I'm kind of pivoting here, unless you wanted to comment well, I mean, I was just going to say, like, I, I, I mean, I agree with you. I think there is a lot of pressure on women to normalize and accept their partner's porn use. And I think that that and yeah, for them to use porn also, you know, like, maybe you should use porn with your partner, then like, you don't like him doing this behind your back, maybe you should use porn too. And I just, I think it's all kind of forced, because it's like trying to force yourself to be okay with something that makes you uncomfortable or upset or is disturbing to you. And I think a lot of women, frankly, just do that because they feel they have no other choice. Cause they're like, yeah. well, all men use porn or like my partner uses porn. There's nothing I can do about it. I can't stop him. So I just need to find a way to be okay with this, which I think is sad, yeah. but I also wouldn't, I don't know what I would say to those women, you know, like I've been in that situation before for sure. And it's, it's tough. Cause it's like, okay, well, am I supposed to leave my partner? Am I supposed to keep having conversations about this? You know, like all these men that I know in my life are using porn and like, maybe their partners are okay with it. So like, how, what am I supposed to do except to try to be okay? And I've never been okay with it. I've always pushed back. I've never been like, yeah. sure, that's fine. I'm like, no, it's not fine. Right. <laughs> But, you know, I, I know what I know where these women are coming from and I know what they feel like they're up against. Yeah. Well, one thing you said during that statement was like the woman might say. Might be how hold this perspective that they can't control, like they, I can't stop my my significant other from looking at pornography. And I think that statement's true. And it can be very empowering to acknowledge like you can't control another person's porn consumption. And, but at the same time, you can put boundaries and boundaries can be healthy. And so like, for example, I'm just comparing my relationship with my wife 
to, so I guess my relationship for the first six years compared to the most recent six years, because we've almost been married for about 12 years. And so for the first six years of marriage, I consumed pornography without her knowing about it. And so it kind of goes back to that statement. And I know that can be challenging to hear, especially for, you know, for an active feminist, but I'm just trying to be honest. And that's what was happening is I was consuming pornography behind her back. And then I told the truth and I wanted to, I wanted an even healthier relationship. Like I already loved my own wife. I have since forever. And, but I wanted an even deeper level of connection for, with myself and with her. And so I ended up, you know, telling the truth about my porn consumption and comparing those two people. When I say those two people, I'm saying basically myself comparing myself porn free and the person who was consuming porn behind her back. Like there's certain things that just build trust. Like the fact that my phone is always accessible to my wife. Like she can pick up my phone at any time and look through anything she wants. Um, and then it's just, and then like, I don't spend very much time on my phone. Um, basically what I'm trying to say, I'm, this is a long winded answer here, but I'm just, I just uh, have personally felt a lot of benefits from having more openness in my relationship. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I could have that openness if I was consuming porn behind my partner's back. And so, yeah, what were you going to say? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, it's not, it doesn't upset me to hear that. I mean, I know I engage with men who use pornography all the time. I, you know, like I, I understand the realities of men and porn use and so on and so forth. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess I just, I mean, that makes sense. Like in terms of like, I think what you need and what you want in a healthy relationship is open communication and openness and, and trust. And like the best, one of the, some of the best psychologists in the world, like Abraham Maslow and Carl Rogers, they developed this thing called the humanistic perspective. And it says that for a person to become the best version of themselves, they have to engage in genuineness, acceptance, and empathy. And so if you think about porn consumption, we talked about how empathy and sexual objectification can't, they're not compatible. So like that eliminates your ability to, become the best version of yourself. Like if you're sexually objectifying other people, you cannot, according to Carl Rogers and Abraham Maslow, like you can't become the best version of yourself if you are engaging in objectification. And then going back to like, is porn consumption cheating? It's like the other aspect of the humanistic perspective is genuineness, which is openness and self-disclosure. So like if you have porn consumption that is being done in isolation and in secret, again, you are not able to become the best version of yourself. 
So it's like, maybe that's what the answer is. It's like, you ask the question, like, what do you say to someone who says their porn consumption is totally healthy? Maybe that's the answer. It's like, you want to, if you want to become the best version of yourself, then try not consuming porn for a while and see what happens. See if you feel any benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that I think is important as we're talking about like relationships and how they're negatively impacted. And in this scenario, I know that women can also have challenges, challenges with pornography, but in, in this scenario that we're talking about, the woman doesn't want the man to consume pornography. And the man is saying, no, my porn consumption is totally fine. It's normal for men to consume pornography. It's not going to disrupt our relationship at all. And one thing I want to mention that I think is really important to mention because of who these people are is the following. It's by Julian John Gottman. They own the Gottman Institute in the Northwest of the United States. And they've worked with, you know, thousands of couples and done decades of research and counseling and they're world renowned for, for all things relationship. And they have said this, the following about pornography, and I'll just quote them because this quote is really powerful. It says that we, it says for many reasons, pornography poses a serious threat to couple intimacy and relationship harmony. So again, for many reasons, pornography poses a serious threat to couple intimacy and relationship harmony. So if the lead experts in the world say that for many reasons, pornography poses a serious threat to couple intimacy and relationship harmony, then it's important that if you're a person who wants to be intimate with another person, and I'm not just saying sexual intimacy, I'm saying if you want a real healthy relationship with another person, with a female then pornography shouldn't be in the picture because according to the Gottmans, it poses a threat. So, and in my personal account, I can attest that the Gottmans are correct, that pornography did disrupt the intimacy and harmony within our relationship. I'm also very grateful that I'm a person who did pivot and moved away from pornography consumption and moved towards openness and genuineness and, and true connection. And I've experienced both. And, uh, the later is blissful. It's not easy. It requires work, but moments of bliss are not free. Mm -hmm. Do you think that some men, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you, you've talked to lots of men about pornography and their porn use. Do you think that some men use pornography as a means to avoid intimacy? Yeah. Well, yeah, I would say that to avoid intimacy, I would say that there's definitely people who do that. I would say that if, if someone's doing that, I would, I would guess that in most cases, that's because they're ignorant. Because like on the surface level, intimacy requires work. It requires patience. It requires um, communication. It requires time. It requires understanding, open-mindedness, encouragement, all these things. 
And so it requires work. And so a lot of people, you know, don't want to work. Like they want the ease of access, the ease that comes from pornography. But the, man, I don't know. I'm getting kind of lost in my thoughts here. Sorry. But, I mean, I'm just, <laughs> no, it's fine. I'm like, I'm just asking you questions as like ideas pop into my head and like, no, I'm, yeah. I'm not talking to you about all these various things that I've been thinking about over the years about pornography. No. But sure, no, I'm just, I got off track, but sometimes I get so, I, de- I, I think so deeply about a thing and then it gets in this rabbit hole and I'm like, okay, how do we get out of this rabbit hole? Where did this, <laughs> where did this rabbit hole begin? But yeah, pornography. I guess your question was. I mean, not maybe not intentionally. I asked if you thought that men use pornography to avoid intimacy because it does like, oh, yeah. so like, for example, if a man's using pornography in his relationship and his partner is upset by his porn use, or he knows that his partner would be upset if she knew about his porn use, you know, that that is sort of a way of avoiding intimacy because you're you're doing something that's preventing trust from building, especially if it's like, you know, you're doing something actively that you know is making your partner feel upset or insecure or angry or mistrustful, you know, and you're yeah. continuing to do it. And that's sort of. Yeah. A place where I can really build true intimacy then. Yeah. I would say, yeah, there's a portion of people out there consuming porn to avoid intimacy. Um, but I think that they're missing out because. I don't know. I compare it to there was this famous psychologist named Harry Harlow and he used empirical work to show the importance of maternal contact. Mm -hmm. And um, for a long time in like the fifties and sixties, a lot of psychologists and behaviorists thought that babies became attached to their mothers because they provided food. And Harry Harlow and others argued that it was comfort and companionship and love that played a role in that attachment. And they were correct. Like they through empirical work, they found that it is those things. And those things are important when it comes to attachment. And so if there is a person out there listening to this, that is consuming porn to intentionally avoid intimacy, then you're intentionally deliberately avoiding a greater level of satisfaction. Yeah. And I think that I've thought about this a lot. And I think that when it comes to like why people are consuming pornography and maybe this is an oversimplification. So I want to state that up front, but I think it comes down to like four options. It's either like, they're engaged in too, like they, they're experiencing too much, like an overload of some sort, like excessive stress or chronic stress, and they don't know how to deal with it, or too little, like they're bored. They're just not engaging in life like they could be. They're not living their life to the fullest when it comes to relationships or other activities as well. And then biology, like I think it's just, yeah, we have a biological response to pornography in most cases. And 
so that's that. And then also trauma, like people are working through trauma and they turn to pornography as a type of drug to numb from that trauma. So I would encourage someone that's consuming porn, whether that person wants to quit or not to analyze their life and like try to decide, like, is it because I'm doing too much? Like, am I overloaded and stressed or is it too little or is it just based off curiosity and the biology of being attracted or is there some type of trauma that I've experienced in my life that I'm trying to cope with and use that, use their self-awareness to dig a little bit and better understand themselves. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, obviously this organization that you're involved with is called fighting the new drug. Um, I mean, what's happening? I mean, you know, people who are addicted to, you know, opiates or crack or whatever it is, you know, there's, there's a rewiring that happens in your brain. So, you know, there's the thing that keeps you using the drug. I mean, often it's like trauma and you're trying to suppress it or cope or whatever it is. But, you know, there's also like something that's happening in your brain when you're using the drug and your brain's sort of rewired so that when you feel triggered by something, you're like, oh, you got to use that drug to to fix that or to comfort myself or whatever. Um, is that kind of same thing happening in terms of porn use? Like, is it comparable to drug use in some way? Yeah, definitely. There, there are, according to a lot of experts out there, there's like four, four markers, four main markers that when it comes to addiction and some of those markers are, sensitization, desensitization. Another one is hypofrontality. Um, so hypofrontality is your brain's, your brain, the prefrontal cortex loses its ability to put the brakes on our impulsivity or on our compulsivity. So yeah, to answer your question, whether a person turns to a drug like a new drug that they're putting into their body, a substance, or whether they turn to a behavior like gambling, for example. Gambling is similar to pornography in the sense that it's you're not putting anything new into your body, but it still meets those markers when it comes to sensitization, desensitization, hypofrontality, dysfunctional stress system, like all these markers of addiction and there are a lot of studies showing that pornography consumption, like these markers live within porn consumers. And another thing that's interesting to talk about is this theory called incentive motivation, which is a compelling theory in addiction disorders because what happens or what can happen is that a person wants it more, but enjoys it less. And they refer to it as incentive motivation. There was a researcher in the UK and her name is Valerie Voon. And Dr. Valerie Voon, she 
did research on pornography consumption and she took patients with compulsive sexual behavior disorder and put them under an fMRI machine and then compared their results to healthy volunteers. So as these people were under the fMRI machine, they, Dr. Valerie Voon and those helping with this research showed them explicit images, sexually, sexually explicit images, and then again tracked what parts of the brain were most active and, and then compared those to the healthy volunteers. And that's one thing that she found is that those who had compulsive sexual behavior disorder, they wanted it more, but enjoyed it less, mm. which is a weird thing. Mm-hmm. But it, it kind of happens with all drugs and substances too. Like think about a person that smokes cigarettes at the level of an addiction. Like that person might say, I hate cigarettes. They might genuinely hate cigarettes, yet they have to consume it. They feel like they have to consume it. So that's a weird thing. They want it more, but enjoy it less. And that same thing happens with pornography consumption, where people engage with pornography, but they don't enjoy it. Yeah. So to answer your question, yeah, um, it definitely does. In my, in my book, it qualifies as an addiction. And not only in my, in my book, right, I'm one person. It's currently not in the DSM which is the diagnostic manual used by doctors and people from around the world or not around the world, more in the United States. Um, They're, they use this DSM to like diagnose people with things like PTSD, anxiety, depression, and compulsive sexual behavior disorder is currently not in the DSM, but it is in the world health organizations definition or diagnostic tool that they use, which is the ICD, the ICD-11, the most recent version of the ICD does include compulsive sexual behavior disorder. Mm-hmm. Also big organizations like the Mayo Clinic here in the United States, they also recognize compulsive sexual behavior disorder. And they say the risk factors for developing compulsive sexual behavior disorder are ease of access and privacy when it comes to pornography. Like, that's another argument that we hear a lot is like porn's been around forever. So why are you calling it the new drug, you know, Mm -hmm. but what has changed is the ease of access is unheard of today. The ease of access and the, the, the ability to like the increased anonymity around pornography consumption is what makes it a new thing. Yeah. I mean, what I've said a lot is that, you know, in the past, men and boys had to go look for porn. Like boys would often discover porn because they'd find like a porn magazine and then they'd go like hide and look at it. Um, Or you'd have to like go to the video store and rent a video and bring it home with you and watch it. And now it's essentially impossible to avoid porn. You know, like kids, girls and boys are seeing porn just because they're online. And like, like I hate pornography. I don't want to look at it, but I can't even go on Instagram and often Twitter without seeing pornography. Like it just kind of shows up in your feed. Like there's like, you have to go out of your way not to see porn nowadays. For sure. That's true. 
Yeah, it's a weird thing. Yeah. And that's new. Because yeah. of, that's kind of, it, it falls in line with my personal account. Because from like 2007 to 2016 was when I consumed porn with that ease of access. Like before that, I didn't have ease of access to pornography. And that's when mine developed into what I label a compulsive behavior was because of the ease of access. So, yeah, yeah, we're, we're dealing with something that needs to be addressed. So I'm glad we're having this conversation. It's one conversation, but it's, it's one conversation, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, I do think, I think a lot of, I mean, I've heard men say this. Um, a lot of men think like, oh, well, I need to use porn or I'm just using porn because I'm single. I don't have access to sex or they'll, you know, defend porn use in general by saying, well, what about lonely men? What about men who aren't having sex with women? Like they're not dating. Like women don't want to date them. Women don't want to sleep with them. Like what are they supposed to do? Like this satisfies them or makes them feel better. Um, And that, you know, if they were in a relationship or once they're in a relationship, then they'll stop using it. They won't need any need porn anymore. Have you found that to be true? Like using marriage or using a relationship to stop their consumption? Like they're, they're, yeah, like the only reason they're using porn is because they're single. But once they're in a relationship, then they won't use porn anymore because, you know, they won't want to or they won't need to. So this is a real complex question. And I just want to acknowledge like anyone out there who has desires to be sexual with someone, but isn't able to, for whatever reason, like if someone desires a healthy level, like a healthy, a healthy sexuality, but they're not able to, I have empathy for that person because like, that's a, physiological desire that we have as, as humans. Yeah. And um, so I want to acknowledge that, but I would also ask the question, like if your desire is health and a healthy sexuality, like how has porn been for you? Mm. Like you said, during your question, you mentioned how porn consumption can satisfy them. And I don't know if that's a true, a completely true statement. I, because the reason why I say that is because I think there's some truth to it because there's a short-term gratification, but I think the reality is, is that they're not going to be satisfied through porn consumption. Like, I guess a, a comparison would be comparing it to junk food. Like when I go to Seven Eleven or any gas station and I, walk down the aisles and I, if I'm in a state of hunger, like everything looks good. And if I buy some treats, like it's the calories should fill me up. Like according to the caloric intake, I should be full. But after I'm done eating that, like as I reach my hand in that bag of chips over and over and over, like the serving size already happened. According to the serving size recommended, I should be satisfied. Yet. I'm still reaching in that bag for chips. And so the reason why I think that can be compared to porn consumption is in my experience, porn did not leave me satisfied. It actually left me empty. It left me unsatisfied. And I mentioned 
earlier Harry Harlow, that famous psychologist, and how Harry Harlow talked about the importance of comfort and companionship and love played a role in the attachment. So like, I would say all those things play a role in satisfaction within a, within like interaction. Like you, you can get a short-term gratification from pornography, but like you want, if you're, if you can't get a relationship, if you can't be in a relationship, if no one wants to be with you, then maybe you should increase your awareness and ask yourself why, like, why do people, why can't I get a date? Like, why can't I maintain a healthy relationship? And maybe it's because I think I am objectively unattractive. But the reality is, is that that mentality is objectively unattractive. Like if you find yourself objectively unattractive, then that mentality is objectively unattractive. And so it's like, increase your awareness, go do something to make yourself more attractive. Like, go do something for yourself. It goes, maybe goes back to like those four things I mentioned being too engaged or overly stressed or too bored. Or so those two things, like maybe it's bored, like maybe you're bored, maybe you're unsatisfied with your life because you're spending excess amount of time in front of a screen, whether that's with porn or with social media or with streaming shows and maybe you're not engaging in enough exercise. Maybe you're not engaging in enough personal hobbies that really interest you, that make you happy. Because if you start to really start to like work towards being your true, ideal, authentic self, then you will become attractive. Yeah, I mean, I say this to men all the time, like, who are like, oh, well, like, I can't get any woman, no one wants to date me, or I can't get a woman, why can't I get a relationship? And I'm like, you need to make yourself desirable, like, you can't just sit around and be, like, depressed and feel sorry for yourself and expect anyone want to date you. Why would anybody want to date, like, it's like, you need to do things that make you feel good about yourself so that you become a happier person, which makes you more desirable. You need to be like an ambitious person. I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about in life, Um, you know, to have interests, to have skills. And that goes for women too. I mean, like, like I don't feel like it's attractive to have nothing going for you and to not like yourself and, and the way to like yourself and be a confident person and to know yourself really well is by getting out in the world and doing things and yeah, having interests and developing skills and being good at things. It's not like, it's such a lie that it's just about physical attractiveness or, you know, having an income. Yeah. And it's tough because I just want to acknowledge like the person who does feel stuck because it can be really challenging to like want to go do all those things that we once wanted. Like if we, if we look at our younger selves and then we look at our current state and it's like, would our younger selves be proud of who we are today? Yeah. But then it's like, maybe not, but then you start to like realize like it could be challenging to go try new things. And it can be, it can cost money. And like you get in, you start to like justify and like look at all these issues and like maybe I can't do it. But I think there's some really, really simple free things that all of us can engage in that are gonna like get us off the couch. 
And it's even as simple as like a, a daily 45 minute walk outside, like go make that happen and, and see if you see benefits and you'll start to like, don't listen to anything. Like maybe just engage with some silence and like, just allow yourself to think about what you want and allow, give yourself some time. I know cause I'm a dad. Like I know how busy life can get with kids and work and all those things. And like, it can be challenging to make the time for ourselves to empower ourselves to become the best version of ourselves. But even some of those free activities, like I said, the 45 minute walk daily, man, that's been such a cool thing for my wife and I to experience together and been so beneficial and it's free. You just go outside Mm -hmm. and walk. I don't know. It's just an activity that we both enjoy. And so it's like, go find stuff you enjoy and go start doing it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think another, you know, like, it's like, I think that if a man is kind of cut off from intimacy and like has all these walls up and is using porn in a way that's like contributing to that, you know, like that's all, also preventing him from getting into an intimate relationship. And like, I know some men, I mean, a lot of men, you know, a lot of men, their sort of like masculine egos or whatever get in the way of being honest and vulnerable about those kinds of things. And they see themselves as like hyper independent and they don't need anybody. And so what does it matter if they're, you know, not having deep, connections and deep relationships with women they're kind of just dating women or sleeping with women and using porn or whatever but i you know i I think everybody in the world needs connection and love and companionship i just i think that's a lie that people tell themselves maybe to comfort themselves but i don't think it's true yeah and i would i would challenge that that individual if they say that is a healthy level of masculinity and like they're hyper independent it kind of goes back to that misunderstanding of the word independence. Like, no, you're not, you're not independent. You depend on pornography consumption or whatever it is in their life. Like you depend on porn. If you were truly independent, then you would not look at porn. Yeah. You would, you would figure out a way to not consume pornography if you were truly free from outside control. Yeah. So tell me, how did you get involved with Fight the New Drug? Because I heard a Fight the New Drug presentation, and it was by chance. And through my first 30 years of life, porn had been normalized. Just like what we talked about, like my friends, society. I didn't have conversations with my parents about pornography. So again, porn was normalized for the first 30 years of my life. And then I happened to hear a fight, the new drug presentation at a school because my wife is a coach at a local high school near our home and fight. The new drug was there presenting and I heard their presentation. My wife and I, uh, we currently don't, but for a big portion of our marriage, we shared a car and I would just commute on a bike And so the reason why I ended up at her school was because I was going to pick her up after work and she was running late. And so I walked inside and I was waiting and I heard about fight the new drug. And, uh, 
it was the first time in my life that I had a counter voice to the normalization of pornography. And I, it really resonated with me. Like the message of how porn can impact the individual relationships and society using science facts and personal accounts. It really resonated with me. And I was like, okay, like I can see that this is true in my life. Like it was disrupting the harmony within our relationship. And so I wanted to build awareness. I told my wife the truth after that presentation, I told my wife the truth about my porn consumption. And I wanted to build awareness because I kind of felt like, like I'm not a huge fan of activism. Like I, I kind of just prefer people should like live the, their best life and like focus on what's in front of you. But I felt like porn consumption was so normalized that I couldn't just like go about my day mm-hmm. once I found this out. Like I, I felt like I had to do my part to build awareness. And so I used one of my talents, which is endurance events. I've uh, done some pretty wild endurance events in my life. Like I've done an Ironman and I've done, I've ran a hundred miles straight through the mountains and it took me, you know, 35 hours. And I, I've done some wild events when it comes to endurance events, endurance events. And so I decided to take these talents or this talent and to build awareness. And so I did 30 marathons in 30 days wearing handcuffs, which represented like the addictive nature of pornography. And for the first 26 marathons, I did not talk about my personal challenge with pornography. I didn't want to open up. I was just kind of directing people towards fight the new drug. And at marathon 26, my wife was like, Garrett, if you're looking to change the conversation, like destigmatize porn consumption and allow people to open up, like, shouldn't you open up about your porn consumption? And so because of her encouragement, I talked about my porn consumption openly. This was back in 2016. And then after that project, I had quit my job to perform this project, (laughs) which sounds wild. And it's, I mean, it is wild. It was kind of stupid of me to do that, honestly. But I just felt like this is kind of weird. And I haven't verbalized this to many people. um, But I felt like if people go to, like if people leave their work, to like go on a, okay. I don't want to compare this to military service, but I like imagine someone leaving their family to go and protect the country or to serve the country. And the next project I did while I had my, 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 I quit my job and I did another project called uh, coast to coast in chains where I rode my bicycle across the United States, dragging chains, which represented the, heaviness that pornography can add to individuals, relationships and society. And so I left my family to go do this project. So again, kind of a weird, stupid thing. And especially coming from a person who says they don't love, like they don't love activism. Like I, I kind of think like I should have been at home with my family, but 
I saw a need to build awareness. And so I did these projects and um, I'm not trying to compare what I did to military service because it's not, it's, it's apples and oranges, but basically in my mind, I was like, okay, it's okay to, for me to leave my family for 60 days while I go do this project, if it helps other people and if it helps myself and our family and other people, it's, it's beneficial. So anyway, I did these two projects, rode my bike across the United States. And on day 21 of the bike ride, the, um, the chains, like the carabiners that held the chains to my bike had worn away. And so I finished without any chains and my wife met me in San Francisco. I start, I started in Yorktown, Virginia and ended in 56 days later in at the Golden Gate Bridge. And my wife was there. She rode the last couple miles with me and we celebrated together. Fight the New Drug saw what I was doing. They, they asked me, said, hey, we want to do a video on your experience. So we did a video on my experience. And then after that, they said, we want to use your video in our presentations because we do like presentations at junior highs, high schools and colleges. And so I was, yeah, of course, like that's, that was the goal of the events was to build awareness. And then they said, Hey, do you want to start presenting your, like using your story as part of our presentation? So I started presenting for fight the new drug back in 2016 and I've presented to over 200 audiences in like 25 states and three countries. And it's been a really cool experience, but that was a really long winded answer, <laughs> but that's how I heard about fight the new drug and yeah. kind of a special thing. Yeah. And I mean, I guess like I come up, like I'm always trying to figure out and like, well, what's the, what's the solution? Like, what do we do about porn? It's such a big problem. And like so many people use it and so many like women and girls are harmed in pornography. And it's just, and it's such as like, it's like a massive multi-billion dollar industry. Like there's so much money there. And, you know, and because I'm often dealing with feminists, like a lot of feminists will be like, well, clearly we should ban porn. And I'm like, no, like we can't ban porn. And it's not because, like of course I like I would like for porn not to exist, but this is not reality, and I don't think it's ever going to be reality. I think porn's always going to be out there, and some people are always going to use porn. So my approach, honestly, especially lately, like within the past couple of years, I've sort of changed my approach. I think earlier on when I first started talking and writing about porn, I was more like taking a shaming approach. Like I was like this is bad and men who use porn are bad and like you don't, you don't really care about women or like, you know, you're a misogynist or whatever. And you know, that's not, it's just not true. Like I know lots of men who I like who are good men who use pornography and, and also that approach doesn't work on very, like that approach works on some men, I guess, but like, that approach doesn't work on a lot of men and you know, what is going to affect change for different people is going to be different, but what's going to affect change for some people is understanding like how it impacts them and their personal lives and their sex lives and their sexualities. 
and their relationships and, you know, how they feel about themselves. So to me, I'm just like, you know, it's such a, it's like small steps, but it's like, I'm just trying to have conversations and try, yeah. I'm trying to understand, like I'm trying to understand why men use pornography because pornography is again, like something that I find really gross, honestly. Like I don't find it sexy at all. I really find it totally unsexy. Like it totally is a turnoff to me and I find it disturbing and upsetting. And then, but it's like, then there's, you know, billions of people who really like it and use it all the time. So, you know, I want to, I would, I would question like how much do they really like it? Mm, Yeah. Because it kind of goes back to that incentive, that theory behind addiction disorders is that like they want it more, but enjoy it less. Right. So then you like start questioning, like how much do you really enjoy it? I don't know the answer to that. But my speculation is that they probably don't enjoy it like that much. Yeah, I think, it, yeah, that's a good point. Because I think, I mean, for I think for a lot of people, it has become a compulsive behavior or it's just some kind of habit where like they feel horny. So they just use porn. That's just what they're used to doing. And then, you know, when you press them on it, they're like, oh, well, I like it. Like they don't really want to think about it that much. But I think at the end of the day, there's this thing this reality which is that a lot of people men and women alike you know like I've talked to women who use porn too I've talked to women who considered themselves addicted to porn and stopped it's like they they use the porn and like they have some form of pleasure because they're having an orgasm or whatever but then they feel bad and gross and ashamed after and it's sort of like well why are you doing something that makes you like feel bad and gross and ashamed and why do you feel bad and gross and ashamed like what what's that feeling from and I think some people's would say oh well it's just because you know sex is repressed and we feel bad about sex and we think it's dirty and it's like yeah but that's not how I feel when I have sex like when I have sex with my partner I feel good I don't feel bad or ashamed or dirty at all porn (laughs) is like porn is the junk food of sex like what I mean by that is like, I don't know. There's this famous psychologist named Edward Thorndike, and he has this thing called the law, Edward Thorndike's law of effect, which says that if something has a positive or maybe not positive, but like a satisfying, when I say positive, I'm talking about like a reinforcement, like psychology talk, like some type of reinforcement or positive consequence, then it's very likely for that to be repeated in the future. And so people do turn to pornography because there's a short-term reward. Like there's a, like the orgasm you mentioned, like there is a short-term gratification there. Um, But then when I said that, you know, porn is like the junk food of sex, it's like, I don't know if what your nutrition is like, or like what you, what your, yeah, what your day-to-day consumption of food looks like. But mm-hmm. for me personally, there's been times in my life when I eat healthier and sometimes mm-hmm. when I eat more unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And so like when I'm eating more unhealthy food, I want more unhealthy food. When I go a period of time without it, then I look back and I'm like, why? Like, was I really enjoying that bag of Cheetos? Like, yeah. can you can you really enjoy a bag of Cheetos? Yeah. And I'm like, my taste change 
And I'm, yeah. I think that's my perspective with pornography consumption as well. It's like when you're in it, when you're consuming porn, you're like, oh yeah, this is great. Like walking down the aisles at 7-Eleven, it's like, well, I can choose from so many things. Or walking down the aisles of a porn site, in a sense, I can choose from all these things. But then once you walk away from that and you start to eat healthier, satisfying nutrient-dense foods, you start looking at like a gas station as like, Oh, it's just not attractive. It's, and that same thing can happen with porn. Like you just don't find it attractive anymore when you once did. Yeah. I, that's a good comparison. I mean, it, it's like, if you eat fast food, you want to eat more fast food. Yeah. And I don't really ever eat fast food. Like I sometimes will out of desperation. Like yeah. if I'm like, on a highway and I'm starving and there's no other options. And even then it grosses me out and I'm like, and I don't even want to eat this. But like, you know, like when I used to eat at McDonald's, like when I was like 19 or 20, you know, I wanted McDonald's all the time. And I, and it's the same with sugar. Like if you eat a lot of sugar, like if you're eating desserts all the time or you're eating kind of junk food from the corner store, the Seven Eleven, like you crave it and you want it. And if you cut it out of your life for long enough, you don't want it anymore and it kind of grosses you out. Yeah. And I'm currently in a position where like I look at the the aisles at a gas station. I'm like, everything's the same. Like it's just, it's the same ingredients, just sugar. And it's, it, it all tastes the same. And that's kind of the thing with pornography is like, it becomes that where you become numb, like your reward center becomes numbed and uh, you lack the ability to truly enjoy the little things in life and the big things in life like sex. Um, so you host uh, the podcast Consider Be- Before Consuming, which is connected to fight the new drug. Um, can you tell me about the podcast? Yeah, we started the podcast a couple of years ago and we publish every other week, every other Wednesday. And the conversations are with experts and influencers and people with personal accounts talking about why we as a society, we as individuals and we as a society should consider before consuming. So we're looking we do take a bias approach because we're looking at the harmful effects of pornography. Um, but yeah, we, the goal is to start conversations. We are pro healthy sex. We are anti shame. We are inviting people to just consider before consuming. Um, and, you know, if people are, curious to learn how to have conversations about porn to talk to their partner about porn maybe they're concerned about their own porn use um you know what would you recommend we have a free tool called the uh, conversation blueprint and you can find it ftnd which is fight the new drug ftnd.org forward slash blueprint and it's a tool that allows you to gain confidence in how to talk about this in a healthy way. And 
the reason why that's important is because oftentimes when it comes to this topic, the individual has so many of these emotions that have been internalized, but not very much opportunity or experience in verbalizing those emotions. Mm-hmm. And so we sometimes go into these conversations unprepared. And so the goal of that tool, we met with professionals from around the world to develop that tool and it helps us be more prepared to have healthy conversations about this. So I would encourage those listeners who are interested to go check that out. Awesome. Thank you so much for talking to me. I really found this conversation super interesting and I really appreciate your time and I appreciate the the work that you're doing with Fight the New Drug. Thanks, Megan. We appreciate the opportunity to be here and uh, you seem like a real cool person. So thanks for the combo as well. Awesome. 